you know, <laughs> why do you want to start making wines early in, in the season while you can still surf and um, drink gin and tonics and stuff? Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Ex Animo Wine Co. Podcast. Uh, today we have Jurgen Close on the on the podcast. He makes the Interlego wines. He makes natural wines out of the Swatland, which is kind of hours north of Cape Town. Specializes in uh, in Chenin Blanc and Syrah, although he does make other varieties also. Does a little blend. The Kadungu blend has some uh, Sinsau Muved in it as well. We also chat about the wine that we get him to make for us, which is the Rousseau Crescent Clark, which is a uh, carbonically macerated pinotage from organically grown grapes. Out in the Swartland, which is a bit of a, a pet project for Jeanette and I. Jürgen is a bit of a laid-back genius. There is a reason why we asked him to uh, make our wine uh, when it came to that. We think he's has this touch and this just indefinable quality uh, when it comes to his wines. They seem effortless and delicious and complete uh, all at the same time. There's no forcefulness with these, these wines, but they're not light or insignificant either. They do have this an immense drinkability and a purity of fruit, but not lacking nuance or complexity. Obviously, most of the recent podcasts have been via Zoom. Uh, because of the lockdown, we can't do it face-to-face. Uh, so usually I have uh, lapel mics for for the interviews, but uh, this is via Zoom. So the, the sound quality uh, varies, varying on our, uh, depending on our internet reception. And a lot of the people I'm interviewing live in rural areas in wine regions so the internet can be a bit intermittent so do bear with us a little bit we'll try and edit out the the worst issues but there will be some some inconsistencies with the sound quality so apologies for that and please bear with us if you do like the podcast please do share it uh we're pumping out one a day while we're in lockdown hopefully they're of interest please feel free to uh, let us know what other topics you want us to cover or other people you want us to interview always happy to uh to take on a new challenge Thanks for listening, and I give you Jürgen Host. I'm Jürgen Host from uh, Interlego Wines. So I run the Interlego Wines operation, uh, and we basically started in 2011 on a small scale, uh, and since then, eventually, you know, built the brand and also increased production. Uh, so making wines in the Swartland, making it in the natural style. So we work with natural wines. What uh, what specific um... Uh, restrictions or does that impose on you in terms of making natural wine? I mean, obviously, uh, organic grapes is a is a is a must. How how fastidious are you with your with your organic grapes? Must the the guys? Um, obviously, you're not you're not farming yourself in terms of you haven't got land, but uh, with the fruit that you're buying or the or the land that you're leasing, um, do you require them to have mm-hmm. certification for organics, or are you just happy that that they uh, that they farm organically? Yeah, so look, we there are there are a few certification um, programs in the country, but uh, none of them actually are certified except for one. But I'm fine with that because for me, at the end of the day, it's more about um, you know um, connecting with a farmer and also the way we farm instead of you know farming according to certifications. Uh, and then also, I think like I've said many times before, you know, even if you go back to natural farming and you know, it, it costs a lot for the audits and all this stuff, you know, whenever to certify it. And I, I think sometimes it rather makes sense to um, rather take that money and spend that wisely on the vineyards uh, um, instead of having now a paper to, to state that you certified. Um, so I'm not very dogmatic when it comes to that. Um, for me, it's just basically about trust, trusting the farmer um, and I have a very good relationship with most of the farmers. 
so I think that's that's very important from day one, um, you know, to to trust them, and um, that's why also I think as a buyer of um, grapes, it's very important that you need to stay keep in contact um, with the farmer as, as often as possible. Because um, what I've seen, for instance, as well, is that a lot of times there's a lot of producers that will buy fruit from a farmer, but they would only make contact once a year. And for me, I, I think I'm you know, my my thinking process is a bit different. When it comes to this kind of stuff, um, so I keep contact with the farmer. Um, we make sure whether it's pruning, whether it's um, suckering, uh, whether it's harvesting. You know that we go through the right procedures. Um, so for me, it's not so much about the certification. Uh, and then also the vineyards that I lease, those ones aren't certified as well. Uh, and I don't really think we'll ever get to that stage. Um, so yeah, I think it's just also where trust comes in. Uh, you know, I trust the farmer that I work with and, you know, um, this is the same with myself, you know, and I also would hope and believe that the consumer out there would trust, you know, my word that if I tell them, listen, it's it's all organic fruit that, you know, that it is. Um, yeah. So, so, yeah so, so, I mean, obviously that depends. That um, requires that you work with farmers in a long term and you're using the same fruit every year or the same vineyards every year. Um, so you're not chopping and changing uh, grape suppliers or, or vineyards is that is that a fair assessment of where you're at yeah exactly exactly um so yeah because i mean it only takes it, it takes you a few um uh, a few vintages to actually really start to um realize you know the potential of that wine or you know that specific block and the grapes mm-hmm. um you know you you hardly get it right after the very first vintage uh i mean a perfect example for instance um was the Rousseau-Gosen clock that we made last year. Um, I made a few adjustments this year, and already mm. I can see the results are a lot better. Yeah. Um, so it is, it, it, it is difficult. Um, that's one thing, for instance, I, I learned when I worked at a co-op as a, as a winemaker back in the day. Uh, and, you know, it, it takes you quite a few vintages, actually, to realize the potential of that vineyard. And, you know, it's like humans. They all need... Um, they all are different. Um, and, you know, some needs more attention than others. Uh, so I think... It, it takes a while, and that's why I'm trying to now stick to those ones that I rent, that I farm myself, and also those ones that I buy from growers, um, because then eventually I can actually now get into a rhythm where I actually know uh, the potential of the wine and you know um, what to do or how to get the best out of the, the fruit that we that we pick from those um, vineyards. Yeah, so it's almost like you have a, a relationship with that vineyard that you that you work with, and, and it's a, it's an evolving thing. Exactly, yeah. And I think that's why it's also inter- interesting. It's uh, important from day one, I think that um, once you start working with that fruit, you know, you you want to be pretty sure that, you know, this is going to be a long-term relationship with the, with the grower, with the, with the, with the um, fruit, with the vineyard, the block, everything. Um, you know, because like I said, you, you don't want to chop and change all the time because then uh, it's like the wines, the, the identity of the wine will change all the time. Hmm. Um, and I think you eventually want to put out something out there that actually the people can can see the style, you know, the stylistic of, of the wine, and then also I would say the vintage variation in the wine, but still it's exactly in the same style. Uh, instead of every event, every year having something different out there, and then you know people start struggling to understand, but listen, what is the identity of this wine, or what is this wine trying to tell us? Um, so definitely, uh, uh, yeah. Yeah. And so once the fruit comes into the winery, uh, what in terms of natural winemaking in, in your um, uh, viewpoint, what what limits do you have or what can you and can't you do or what will you and won't you do in terms of in terms of production in the cellar? Um, 
I think the what I've learned over the last few years, and for me, the most the utmost important thing when it comes to natural wines is sanitation. And that's when I talk about the winery, you know, um, on the you know the inside of the winery, how clean it is, um, equipment that we work with. <clears throat> so that's that's for me is utmost important. Um, because that plays a massive part. Um, I've, I've I've seen I've I've been to quite a few wineries all over the world and visited them and you know had a look and stuff. And it was funny that there were quite a few wineries that were actually the sanitation were not up to standard there, and you could almost like feel it in the wine as well. So for me, first of all, the most important thing is the sanitation. Um, like I said, you know, um, it's 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 very important for us to to work very clean to make sure that all the equipment, everything is clean uh, on, a, on a daily basis. And, and from there on, it's a lot easier there uh, because then you start to work with a kind of like a, a, more, a more healthier product. Um, and basically, limitations there is, I, I use a bit of sulfur. Um, mm-hmm. there, are, there are one or two vineyards that we've started now to uh, do away with the sulfur. But that's also because I work, I've been working with those vineyards for the last five years. So... Yeah. I've been following it, you know, quite closely, and now I can see actually, you know, we can convert to that, such that that stage where we can do without sulfur. Um, so yeah. it's not just why, case why, where... why do you want to do without sulfur? Um, I think just the first of all the the, the drinkability of the wine. I think is is, is very important. Um, yeah. and I also I feel like it's a, it's a more true reflection of the wine itself. I don't have any problem with sulfur and. The ones that I use sulfur on is like very little um, sulfur, uh, mm-hmm. which you know, but it's still a preservative, which is a good thing. Um, yeah. But I just think like sometimes in some wines, the sulfur can make the wines a little bit almost like they want to say hot. You know, with some red wines, uh, you know, especially when it comes to the tannins and stuff, um, and the whites as well. So for me, it's 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 a, it's a bit more about the drinkability um, and yeah, more jo- enjoyable. And then on the other end as well that. Fortunately, or maybe unfortunately, I struggle, you know, quite a bit with high sulfate wines. Um, yeah. So I think that's also a thing, you know. Um, yeah. So for me, so I mean, what, what, what I'm hearing, and you can tell me if I've got this wrong, but it, it it actually changes the the character of the wine, and you think if too much is added, it's it's for the it's for the for the detriment of the wine. Like you get you get further away from the vineyard. Is that what you're saying? Is that um, yes, yes. That, um, because I mean, at the end of the day also, I mean, the important thing is that wine is, uh, wine is something that's alive, you know, and there's a lot of life in wine. And for me, it's all about the energy uh, and I want something that's energetic. Mm-hmm. And I feel like with uh, lower levels of sulfur, you know, you feel a lot more of that energy in the wine. Uh, whereas yeah, right. if you use high parts of sulfur, then, you know, you, you can kill off all of that. So for me, I think that's a very important factor. Um, so, so it's a more yeah, transparent so, sort of uh, reflection of what you find in the vineyard. Yes, because for, for us, at the, you know, for me, the, the big thing about Interlego is that it's basically, we, you know, we, we, we work hard in the vineyard. We try to correct what we can in the vineyard. And then the wine is basically a celebration of what happens in the vineyard. So yeah. for, me it's, for me, it's pointless to, 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 to really be on top of, you know, farming the vineyards and stuff. And then... In the winery, we chop and change a lot, and then it's a total different product from what it came from from the vineyard. So, yeah, right. yeah. so it's just basically I want to to the consumer, I want to ex- make him understand what we do in the vineyard, and then it's basically transferal of energy from the vineyard into the bottle and from the bottle to the glass. And yeah, yeah. 
that's our whole process. Um, and the glass into the mouth and the mouth into the dancing moves after you've had too much to drink. That's right. Exactly. Yeah, that's where the energy exactly. goes. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah. No, it's an interesting conversation because, I mean, I, I chat to um, a lot of people about sulfur, um, you know, every day of my life. And, and it is this sort of uh, uncomfortable space for a lot of people where, where there's a lot of um, misinformation out there, I suppose, and, and uh, yeah. a lot of opinion. Um, uh, both both strong opinion for it and against it uh and 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 the average person and even in the the, the average person in the um in the industry is, st is still pretty lost uh when 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 sulfur gets mentioned it's sort of like the eyes blaze over it's almost the most boring conversation in 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 wine apart from um about closures yeah. That's, that is the most boring conversation so i won't i won't go into that with you um but it is it, it is an important one because it does as you say, it does change the character of the wine in a significant way. So when when people do drink natural wines or low sulfur wines, um, they are tend to be different. They have different textures. They have different flavor profiles. Um, they have different aromatic um, characters. Uh, they have different textural characters as well. So it, it is a huge sort of um, fulcrum on on which this this natural wine style i guess is is built on mm. it, it does separate it from uh, more industrial or more you know conventional wines in terms of its actual drinkability as you said so it's a really important point to get across dave i also i think another thing is um if you go into a restaurant or in a shop and you buy a bottle you know most of the times i mean you will know better than most of us somebody will buy the bottle and they will drink it straight away or you know once they open it they will drink it so Wines with high sulfurs, uh, sulfur levels, you know, I reckon it just doesn't have enough time to blow off. If you have, if you open a bottle of wine, maybe you open a young bottle of wine because nowadays it's quite difficult to, you know, not everybody's in that um, financial situation where we can buy old vintages, you know. Yeah. So a lot of us will buy the younger, fresher wines and then they'll have still high levels of sulfur. So it takes quite a while for the sulfur to blow off. And I mean, you don't want to be half through the bottle before you actually only start to realize the potential of the wine. Yeah. Um, so, so, so for me, that's also a big thing. But on the other hand... Um, I mean, I, I see sulfur slightly differently to you, I think. I mean, I see sulfur a little bit like I see young wine versus old wine. I mean, I don't think wine generally gets better or worse. It, it just changes with age, you know, and some people prefer young wine and some people prefer old wine. And, you know, and there's obviously every point in between. For example, I love your wines, obviously, and I, I love the, the purity of them, but I also like high sulfur German Rieslings, which are, you know, massive amounts of sulfur in those wines. But I think yeah. uh, in, in that environment, in that um, bottle, it works. You know, the Riesling yeah. with the high sulfurs and the high acids and the little bit of sugar, et cetera, et cetera, works really well. Mm -hmm. um, but for Chenin Blanc in, in the Swartland in a warm area, I don't want a whole bunch of sulfur in my wine. Yeah. Um, so I think it, I think it from, from my point of view, and obviously – um, I'd be interested to hear your point of view, like something like a JJ Prum uh, or Dr. Lewis, one of the classic um, producers of Mosel Riesling. Is that is that a wine that you would enjoy drinking, or is it just too high sulfur? You you can't get past it. Well, well, I had JJ Prum on Sunday, and I hmm. I really enjoyed it. Um, I yeah. always really uh, enjoyed the, the German Rieslings and stuff. Um, yeah, this obviously, you know, I think it's also uh, the way the sulfur effect. I'm just talking about myself now, but my, mm. my body, you know, I think it's almost like now 
kind of there's like a reaction to higher sulfurs, uh, and yeah, right. um, that's why I can I can feel it straight away. If I drink a wine that's very high in sulfur, um, I feel it straight away. Even though some people reckon you can't, but I still disagree with them. Mm. Um, and also the next morning as well. So I think at the end of the day, it's all about the individual and how the body reacts, and um, if they're comfortable of drinking that wine and. I mean, if you know, if the person next to me is comfortable drinking a wine with super high sulfur levels, then that's fine. Then yeah. you know, there, there's no right, there's no wrong. Uh, it's just that I don't prefer it, uh, and I just feel for the style and the climate and um, that I make my wines. Um, lower sulfur levels are definitely a better way uh, of showcasing the true potential of the wine and also the style. Um, yeah. But then once again. There are a few wines that I add a bit of sulfur, and I've got no problem with that. Um, yep. So, uh, like I said, I would I would rather add the sulfur and make sure that the wine um, goes to the bottle and is in a good condition instead of saying I make no sulfur wines. But then once people open the wine, it's a bit too funky. So yeah, I think right. that's also where one needs to draw a line somewhere. Um, so it's it's not so much for me about not ma uh, making no sulfur wines. It's just a case of. The ones that can 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 handle it, um, yeah, we'll do it without sulfur. But the ones that can't, it's fine. We'll, we'll sulfur it a little bit up and um, yeah, make sure that the wine um, arrives in in, in, in top-notch condition. You know, when people open it and drink it. Um, yeah, very cool. But yeah, yeah, I, yeah, yeah no, no, I do, I do enjoy. It. I mean, there's a lot of other classical wines that I also like that the sulfur levels are high, but I actually kind of enjoy them. So. Um, yeah, there's no set rule for not. Yeah, no, no. no. That, obviously, there's there's different um, uh, different takes on this with different people. So, I mean, you know, some people will just will not drink anything with high sulfur, and other people just won't make wine with high sulfur. And then there's there's other people who won't drink wines with low sulfur. So <laughs> there's a there's a full spectrum. Uh, so what else in the winery? I mean, I'm, what are, what other things in the so acid additions, um, yeast additions, enzyme additions. No, no. That's why. So, just to come back to the acid additions, um, yep. that's why. That's why we pick. Uh, that's why I pick earlier, so that I can have a good. You know, we have high grape acidity, and yep. then that we don't have to acidify the wines. So that's one of the major reasons why I pick earlier. And then also, obviously, because um, I prefer drinking more fresh style wines, wines that's a little bit lower in alcohol, um, because it's more drinkable. So it all comes back again to the drinkability. So that we don't acidify. Um, so the only actually addition to the wines are sulfurs for those ones that we use it. Mm -hmm. uh, the, yeah. Otherwise, we we just the wines. You know, it's basically like uh, just guiding the wines. So we try not to to work too much with the wines. Um, you know, we try to fix it or change things um, because you know, like I said, it's 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 a, it's expression from what happened in the vineyard. So yeah, I try not to get too you know too much of that. Um, so yeah, no acidifying. We don't add anything else in sulfur, and yeah, so just make sure that it's it's in it's in a good condition. And uh, luckily enough, for instance, this year it looks like the acidities are quite good. So pretty happy about that. Um, so it's also you know we we play it year to year, and uh, I think it's it's important that you need to be out there in the vineyards and understand you know, and also even before the start that um, you know what's happening out there so that you can be. Um, really, you know, once I was start and know, you know, maybe it's a year where acidities might be quite low, so we might pick a little bit earlier. Uh, thinking back to vintage like 2016, where it was super warm and hot, but luckily we picked early enough and we still retained good um, grape acidity. 
this this style of winemaking in terms of no additions apart from sulfur, so no corrective additions, I guess what you would put it, requires pristine fruit, doesn't it? I mean, the, the fruit coming yeah. in has to be of, of optimum quality and then how do you get that to that point? It's the farming. So really it's the preparation in terms of the the, the, the years, the two, two or three seasons before harvest time is the, is the determining factor. Um, on the quality of your wine is that would that be a fair would that be a fair statement yes yes no 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 exactly it's it's just so be impo- so important to be in touch with, with, with what's happening in the vineyard um, out there and especially also um, the summer season or you know the spring leading up to, to the, the start of the growing season uh, but then also if you work that back you work back towards winter where we prune and I think as one of the most important actions in the vineyard is pruning you know because that's mm-hmm. a selection of what's going to happen in the coming during the coming harvest and stuff so yeah, yeah basically after it's, a, it's a real it's a real fork in the road for the for the for the plant isn't that the pruning so you can either go one way or exactly. the other and that's determined at that point yeah so basically, that's a nice thing and i think that's maybe one of the reasons why back in the day i chose to go and study winemaking because it's 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 so diverse and if you look at all the, the four different seasons we we now in autumn where we um, are very selective on what compost we're going to use, what cover crops we're going to plant. That's very important, you know, for the soil. Mm. And, you know, the soil is very important to the vine. And then we get to the pruning in the winter where, you know, to shape the vine. And then we get to summer treatment in spring or, you know, suckering and stuff before harvest. So every season is so important. So it just all draws back to what happens in the vineyard is very essential. And then, you know, it just makes it a lot easier, like you said, you know, to get um, pristine fruit in in the winery. of top of top quality, um, so yeah, it's it's definitely um, the actions taken in the vineyards. There's a couple of other guys out uh, in the Swatland making similar styled wines to you, namely um, uh, an ex-colleague of yours, Craig Hawkins, um, and a young fella. Uh, he's quite small, um, uh, Johan Meyer, Stompy. Um, but you're I don't, know, I, don't, I don't know if he's still young. <laughs> wow, yeah, he looks young. He's getting, he's getting older. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Aren't we all though? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Um, your Shannon, for example, like your Interlego Shannon, yeah. uh, tends to be sort of a, a percentage higher in alcohol than theirs because theirs mm-hmm. usually hover around 11, you know, maybe, maybe 11 and a half, maybe 12, mm-hmm. and yours usually comes in at 12 and a half, 13. Uh, is that just vineyard site for you? Is that is that what that extra percent is there, or is it? Um, are you picking you know a little bit later than those guys, or what's because you? I know you share a lot of vineyards with the guys as well, uh, or at least share growers. Um, How no, you I think uh, your shirt tends to have a bit more say, richness and a bit more roundness than those than the other two guys. Yeah, I think the the reason is because normally um, my summer break is a bit longer than theirs. Yeah, right. Uh, you're surfing still. <laughs> exactly. You know, that's that's my reason. You know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, wh- why do you want to start making wines early in, in the season while you can still surf and um, drink gin and tonics and stuff? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, no, no. Uh, no, no. To get back to that, um, I think um, yeah, Shannon is something special, and especially if you take South Africa. Uh, which is such a unique country when it comes to Shannon. Um, there's amazing Shannon's different styles and everything made all over the country, which I really love. And then you get to Swatland. And for me, this, the Shannon from Swatland is just amazing. You know, it's just obviously totally different from other regions and different char- characteristics and stuff. But I feel like with the Shannons, um, for me, it's like I try to find that balance where fruit is very important, show, you know, showing off the terroir. 
But then also on the other hand, you know, um, the characteristics of the, the Chenin Blanc itself. So I've always tried to find a balance where you can feel it's from the Swatland, but at the same time, you can feel it's a typical Chenin Blanc. It's got those typical characteristics. Yeah. So, um, so what I'm, what, what I'm, sorry, yeah, go ahead. So maybe what I'm trying to do, what I'm trying to say and what I'm trying to do with the wines is, you know, to, 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 to find that middle point where you, you can feel the terroir, but you can also feel the characteristics. Um, so, and I feel like if I go maybe 12 and a half, 13, that's more or less for me, um, the middle point where, where I find all those characters in the wine. And, uh, you know, it's, I'm it's also working with... It's, uh, it's an interesting concept that you're bringing up. So what you're saying is as the, uh, the grapes ripen, um, the resulting wine, if you pick sort of super, super early, is just a, a, an expression of uh, terroir. But if you, as you, if you pick too late, all you get is the varietal character of the, of the, of the, of the vine and none of it's sort of... Um, uh, situation in terms of the terroir is that, is that is that what you're saying? Is that kind of what I'm picking up? Sort of. So, yeah. so if it's yes. if it's too early, you're getting more of the the soil and the site, and then if it's too late, all you're getting is the sort of the um, the shenanness of the variety, and you're losing a little bit of uniqueness in terms of place and and terroir. Would that be kind of yeah? Because yeah, I mean, because I want to get that, like you said, that shenan uniqueness in the wine, and, yeah. and I feel like if, I just feel like if I pick it too early, then uh, the wines are not, it's, I mean, I love those wines, but the wines, is, they're fresh, but then obviously, you know, there's also high levels of acidity. Uh, and, but I think it also depends on what, with what vineyards that you work with. I work, yeah. for instance, with one block where it's very high in acidity, but even it's got high acidity when you get to 13 alcohol. So the yeah. nice thing is I can't pick a bit later there. Yeah. Uh, but if, but then then again, the Elementis, the skin contact wine, uh, it's quite low in acidity. So I need to pick that at 11, 11 and a half, I can never go higher than 11 and a half because the city is today. Yeah, um, for, that, for that specific, but, but, specific but, vineyard, yeah. Yeah, but, uh, but I think, yeah, when it comes to taste, for me, that's just always how I've seen it. Um, mm -hmm. And yeah, I think, you know, yeah, early on, um, you know, it is, it, it, it's more terrible, I think. And obviously, you know, you have higher cities there, whereas later on, you start to really feel the, you know, um, characteristics of Shannon. So mm. um, that's like, an interesting concept. I'm I'm just trying to sort of absorb the uh, the idea that uh, mm. um, that the wine. I mean, obviously, if you pick fruit too early, it's going to be green and hard and acidic and, and not show much of anything. But I hadn't really. Mm. Yeah, it's it's an interesting concept that if you've put in my mind there. Um, yeah. And in terms of oak aging, I mean, uh, I've been in the winery that um, you're in now in Boschhausfontein. Is that right? Um, yes, that's correct. Yeah. Uh, uh, in on the part of oak, so there's not a lot of um, uh, vessels there to to ferment in. Um, there's some old oak. Um, is there still some concrete there, or has that been all removed? Was that removed years no, ago? No, no, no. That's been removed years ago. So yeah. there's, there's I couldn't a, remember. There's a few states. Yeah, it's a few stainless steel tanks, and then the rest are all old oak barrels that we that we age the wines in. So yeah. um, it's actually, it's actually, honestly, it's a very well, where I work. Um, it's a it's a very um, boring cellar because there's no fancy <laughs> stuff inside. Mm -hmm. But um, the reason why it's boring is because once again, like I said, you know, uh, for me the focus is more on the vineyards. Um, so I, I can still do away with old barrels, uh, HL wines in there. I mean, obviously, I would love to have some con concrete tanks and stuff um, to make use of, and yeah. hopefully in future I will. Um, but for now, you know, it's like, you know, the, the old oak and stuff, it just works perfectly for the wine. Um, 
Yeah. So I'm very happy with that. How, how do you how do you source your old oak? I mean, do you buy new oak and rent it out to somebody that you trust, and then get it back as it, when it's two years old, or do you buy used oak? And how do you how do you sort of um, uh, navigate what 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 has happened to that oak before you get it? Well, the problem in Swatland is that um, if I buy any new oak and I uh, rent it out to friends. I'll never see it again. You know, I'll never get that. <laughs> um, you, so you might get a piece of like a nice lamb chop that they've bright on it or something. Yeah, yeah, something <laughs> like that. You know. <laughs> so no, no. Um, so no, I just um, that's a nice thing. That's actually it's a funny it's a funny industry because I remember um, I remember when I started back in the day. Um, um, everybody used to make white wines in new barrels, and then all of a sudden it became a trend to rather use um, older oak for the white for the white wines. I think that's when um, the um, I think that's when the rand tanked against the euro and and uh, and barrels became way more expensive. All of a sudden, old oak was uh, was very fashionable. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, so, so so the nice so the nice thing about this country is you know there's always somewhere producers that will use new oak and eventually they're gonna after four or five years throw it out because for them it's too old but for for me it's perfect so yeah. sourcing sourcing second hand barrels or old older barrels is, 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 is quite easy uh, okay so i'm just trying to get from um you know um obviously friends you know is also in the wine industry but you know that, that you can trust um and then that the barrels are still in good condition uh, yeah so it's quite easy. We just source from around, and uh, every year we buy a few. Um, so yeah, so it's. it's so when, I mean, it's, I'm assuming when the barrels come in, you have to make sure that there's no sort of uh, residual cellar uh, issues from the previous owner in terms of you know yeast and and uh, microbes yeah. and and that kind of vibe. Obviously, I'm assuming that's that's what you do in terms of when you get new new old wood in, in into your possession. Yeah, yeah. Look, uh, the nice thing is also, you know, you'll try and find the wines that used to be in this, those barrels and just look at the analysis of the wine itself, which will give you a pretty good indication. Um, yeah. And also, I think, you know, just make sure that the, the, the barrels has been filled for, you know, for up until before you buy it. So yes, um, yes. I think my my resources, they, they're pretty trustworthy. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's also another important thing, you know. Uh, you want to buy from somebody that's trustworthy. Um, you know, you can you can go on what they say. So, yeah, I would say that's important, uh, definitely. And in terms of aging the wine, um, Elevage, I mean, you tend to bottle quite early. Is that a choice of mm. yours, or is that because you need the space for the next vintage, or a combination of those things? I would no. I would say it's it's a choice. I mean, we do bottlings normally. We do two bottlings a year. We do one in August and one in November. The thing for me, the wine, is that actually I see wines aging in barrel. I see barrels as um, just a storing vessel. So it's not like it has to be in barrel for 18 months and just to integrate with the wine, you know, the open, all that all that stuff. Um, so it's it's quite an easy process. I was even, I was tasting through the wines uh, on Monday. And I mean, yes, I mean, already the wines are very drinkable. So that makes it just so much easier. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, that's, that's, that does help for a beverage, doesn't it? Being drinkable. Exactly. <laughs> no, because no, I've, I've worked at places where you know you can't even drink those wines until June. It's impossible to taste them. You know, you just mm. rip your mouth apart. So, so, so for me, it's um, I, I prefer storing wines for a longer time in bottle than in barrel. Yeah. Because uh, the wines are just more secure and safe in the bottle. Um, so. I think that's a big reason, but then also, you know, we need to make space for the next vintage. It's another reason, but 
the wines are pretty much all of them are of such a state that you can bottle them early. Um, so I don't think I'm pushing the wines, you know, or forcing the wines um, when it's not ready to be bottled. Um, so yeah. yeah, I think it's a, due to the style. Um, it's, it's it, it works perfectly. Um, I also wanted to chat to you uh, about um, another wine that you actually make, mm -hmm. um, the Russo Host and Clark. So I'm the Clark, or Jeanette and I are the Clark, and you're the host. Yeah. Uh, and it's a Pinotage from yes. uh, the Um So just a quick uh, intro for people who don't know the wine. I first came to South Africa in 2012. Before I moved here in 2013, I came in 2012. I came before that, but not really in a wine capacity. And there I tasted a really great little Pinotage called the Lamb Pinotage, L-A-M uh, mm. Pinotage, with like a sort of like a, a pale mauve uh, uh, yeah. purple label some horrendous um uh, writing on it it looked the label was horrendous but the wine inside was was truly exciting and Jeanette and I drank yeah. a lot of it and uh and you and Craig were working at Lamasook at that time uh yeah. making that wine and others obviously maybe just chat to me about uh, that that lamb pinotage because that that becomes a really important um uh, starting point for the the Russo-Christian Clark oh, yeah look it was um it was quite it was nice to work with Craig and also to to see um, you know what he brought to the table and his ideas and everything. Uh, and we had that really awesome little block um, at Lama Soup when we worked there, the pinotage block um, that we used to to make this lamp pinotage with. And it was made more in a not a bushelay style because we didn't do it in um, closed vessels or anything. It was made in concrete tanks, but we. We would um, leave it for like a week on the skins. Uh, we would bucket over juice once a day. So basically, you know, we try we would try to not extract too much from those grapes. Um, yeah. And there were no real, there were no pigeons or anything done. And Craig had these. He got he, he brought these funny looking plastic covers from Portugal. Um, I mean, Craig always comes up with the weirdest kind of ideas. <laughs> and then that that he would basically cover the whole concrete tank. Yeah, so we would cover the tank and then once a day we would just go then bucket over juice. So try to mm -hmm. keep it, uh, you know, hold it as, as for as long as possible. <clears throat> so there was quite a fair bit of carbonic involved there. Um, mm -hmm. And I think that was also when I worked with him there and when we drank the wines and stuff, it was definitely one of my more favorite wines. And thinking back to the 2013 lump for me was, it was just so good. So just also realized back then, you know, but listen, there's another... There's another side of pinotage that we haven't really seen. Uh, yeah, well, that, that was that was the that was the breakthrough moment for me as well. To because I mean, previous to that, I just drank the pinotages that were available, you know, in the supermarket or mm. you know, just just the everyday stuff, and it was pretty dire, pretty dour uh, wines. I mean, there was a couple of standout wines. I mean, the Beaumont pinotage I've always enjoyed, um, but as a general category, it was pretty fucking disappointing. And then I had this wine and it was just absolutely just the light, you know, went off in my head. So Jeanette and I drank a lot of it. Um, so much so we ended up selling it when we got here, you know, six months later or three months later and then we started our business a year later. Uh, we started selling yeah. the wine because we were very impressed with it. Um, and obviously on all the other ones you were making. Um, yeah. So fast forward, Jeanette and I drank a lot of Lamp Pinotage uh, over our time. You and Craig leave Lamasuk to do your own thing. Craig, um, obviously with Testalonga, you with Interlego. Um, and so the, and then the, the new um, uh, operation at Lamasuk uh, didn't continue that wine, unfortunately. 
and well, unfortunate for me and Jeanette because we fucking loved it. So at that point, I spoke to you and said, mate, I'm missing the lamb pinotage. Can you make me one? <laughs> um, and you said, yes, I can get a ton of fruit from, uh, from Andrew Whiteman, who's the um, That's from, correct. from Morala uh, Farm, which is yeah. the farm next to Lemusul. Um, and, uh, and then at the point, the 2016 white man, Close and Clark was, was born. Um, so that was a ton of yeah. fruit of organically farmed, um, pinotage fruit. So how did you make that in terms of how was that different to the, what you were doing with lamb pinotage? I mean, the, 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 the request from me, um, was I knew I could never make it. So I obviously went to the source, went, went to you and said, uh, please do what you can to, to recreate it the best you can or something even better if you can. Um, so what was the what was the plan on that 2016 if you can cast your mind back? Obviously different fruit, you didn't have concrete tanks. So just to track back, in 2012 yeah. and 2013, I, I worked at Matassa with Tom Leber in, in, in France. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there I learned quite a lot about um, making reds semi-carbonic, where you basically um, use stainless steel vessels, um, flo- floating domes, and then you just fill the tanks, you inflate the lid, and you just keep it sealed for a week to two weeks. Uh, Never open a tank, uh, let it do its own thing, and then you press it. Um, so that's where where I got that idea from, and for me also. Can you? I mean, just, sorry, to, sorry to interrupt you again, but just obviously fermentation creates CO two. I mean, is, do you have to let the CO two out to like maintain the integrity of the tank, or is the tank strong enough to hold that uh, extra pressure? No, no, no. The tank is strong enough because the tank has got a um, it's a breathing breathing valve at the top. Okay, all right. Um, so yeah, so it's 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 not a problem. Yeah, so, you, so that's, so that's you, quite you, easy. You're not going to do what Craig did and, and crack the tank. No, 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 no. no you know, okay. um, I, I, the, the nice thing is I learned from Craig's mistakes. Yeah, right. that's cool. <laughs> he makes them and then so, yeah. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that's actually yeah, the so defi- that's, that's one of the definitions of geniuses is uh, is actually <laughs> not only learning from your own mistakes but actually learning from others as well. Exactly. You know, yeah. uh, I will always phone him and check on him what mistakes he made. So, uh, <laughs> yeah. I know, you know, what to avoid and what not, not to do. So yeah. <laughs> no. Um, so yeah, just to come back and for me, look, we all, everybody visualized, and for me. The picture before even we started making the first one in 2016 was I wanted to make some, or we wanted to make something that was very bright fruit, very, you know, very fresh, but I would always see more like kind of like lighter red colors. You know, I think a lot of people think in colors as well. Uh, and for me as well, you know, when it comes to wines, I think in, in colors, different color schemes. Yeah. And for me, this lamb were like, I thought, you know, I could see this lighter red, juicy kind of wine. So that's why I, uh, I thought, you know, if we do this semi-carbonic way, uh, where we would ferment it in a tank um, with a, a variable lid, but seal it off for a week to 10 days, then I think that would be, that way would be the best, getting the style that we want for this wine. A week and 10 um, days, does that mean primary fermentation is pretty much done? Is that is that why that time period or? Um, yeah, but the, the thing is, if you go semi-carbonic, you know, Actually, there's not a lot of juice during fermentation that's um, in a tank. It's mostly, you know, um, um, the, berry. the carbonic maceration that takes place, takes place in the berry. Yes. yes. Um, so there's still there's still quite a lot of once you press it, there's still a lot of um, sugar in the in in the juice in the wine. Um, so yeah, it's I don't know. We I remember my very first vintage. I kept on tasting it. 
just tasting it and just to see. And I think also going on my gut. I think, you know, for me, when it comes to wine making, your gut feeling is very important. You need to yeah. go on your gut with a lot of things. So, yeah, that's why that's why I think it was seven days, the very first wine I decided, like, cool, I think it's time to get it off the skins now, to press it, you know. Um, and then, yeah, um, luckily it all worked out fine. Uh, and I think the wines were were a very good expression of um, that site that we worked on at Moorlach, um, mm. making the very first wine in 2016, uh, yeah. and so also made, in that in that specialized style. So we made three wines um, from the from Moorlach. So there was three vintages of Whiteman, mm-hmm. Close and Clark. So it was 2016, 2017, 2018, and then obviously yeah. um, uh, Andrew and his sons have uh, started up a a brand called Whiteman and Sons. So they're making their own wines. So they needed the fruit for them. Uh, good yeah. wines. So it suits them out. Um, really mm-hmm. some interesting stuff. And then you found a another uh, grower, or you may have already been working with him, Scholz Russo, who's in the next uh, valley across. So still in the, the part of Berg. And he's got organically grown pinotage as well. So this is the first vintage we've done in 2019. Obviously the 2020s in the, in Ross Hasfontaine as well at the moment. The 2019s, only one in bottles so far. So, and this is what a dry grown site from 1968, I believe. Is that right? Yeah. So interesting enough, um, actually, it's a little bit of history. Is that in 1967, his dad um, he came back from the army and um, he started farming on that farm. And then his his dad's uh, father bought him the farm. Mm-hmm. And then in 68, in 1968, they planted the pinotage and with a few other varietals. Uh, and I spoke to him the other day, and actually, funny enough, the Pinotage and the Wanton Tabaraka block, they are still, you know, the only still existing um, blocks from 1968. Okay. So it's just, you know, I think it's another good thing, you know, for Pinotage as well, just to show you that a lot of all the stuff were uprooted and were replanted, but Pinotage um, has lasted since 68. And back in the day when they planted it, it was some dryland, but nowadays there is, there is the option of irrigation uh which we used about twice this year okay. uh, just to, you know just to release a bit of stress but it's it's mm-hmm. it's really a block that's in really good condition you know they, they prune it pretty well it's on a nice it's more like a northeasterly slope yeah and uh you know it, it yields quite well so um yeah it's actually that's good elevation and uh, yeah it's like i said well looked after so yeah i, I mean, think there's, there's uh, a lot of generosity and 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 depth in the in the 2019 versus the the previous vintages, I think, in terms of the mm. the wine. I mean, there is this sort of a a more of a sort of a tannic grip as well. Um, but yes. uh, there's certainly this 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 character in the fruit that sort of the depth of flavour and the nuance of yeah. flavour. Whereas the the Weibenhausen Clark was beautifully pure and beautifully uh, primary and pristine, and but the Russo has this sort of just slightly broader, slightly more um, cerebral fruit character. It does make you think a little bit more rather than just say, oh, this is just a delicious, you know, light red wine. Yeah, and also, the, I mean, the soil, I remember at Mordelach, I think the soils are, they are more decomposed. It's more sandier. We're up yeah. there at um, the Langkloof where we get the stuff from now. It's, you know, I think the clay content definitely is a little bit higher up there. Yeah. Um, so also, yeah, no, due to the, due to the, um, Due to the site and also the elevation, it plays quite a big, makes quite a big difference in the in, in the pinotage, um, for sure. No, awesome. And um, in terms of what's happening in the winery, um, is it a pretty similar situation to what you first did? Sort of a uh, whole bunches into a tank and seal it up, and away you go. Yeah, 
pretty much the same. Um, <clears throat> once again, yeah, like I said, holbines, it's semi-carbonic. Uh, depending on the depending on the vintage, but we'll taste. But yeah, this year was about eight days on the skins, uh, mm -hmm. eight nine days. Um, yeah, so we try to, to try to follow the same thing. Um, this year, actually, uh, I I made a few adjustments, tried a few new new things, which actually worked quite well. Um, we we did a bit of uh, rosé that we fermented, you know, in barrel, and then eventually mm -hmm. we blended it back. And cool. it's funny enough, how actually the wine benefited from that because with yeah, pinotage, right. you can you can you can easily you can easily get with pinotage, you can get like a more kind of bitter character. Yes, uh, and I always. I'm always wary of that. And I think mm. the fact that we've left back the rosé, actually, the wine benefited a lot from that. Um, yeah, right. But yeah, it's, it's, it's pretty much the same um, techniques we used than before. So, and also the nice thing is, like with the Mordor fruit, you know, this fruit is also in very good condition. So we've been very lucky since 2016 to work with some top quality fruit. Um, no, it just makes yeah. it a lot easier. Yeah, amazing. Um, and, and the thing about Pinotage for me is what makes it unique. Um, obviously, it's negatives, which is that sort of the bitterness and one of the reasons why it's, you know, a bit of a joke in the wine world around the world. But on a positive side, it is one of the, the, the very few varieties that can be grown in the, in the new world that has a natural sort of cut and sourness to it, almost like a dolcetto from, from northern Italy. It has this sort of almost northern Italian sort of cut and um, tension um, to it uh, when it's made in, in a certain style, which obviously we're talking about now. Obviously, if it's if it's uh, left on the vine too long, it gets too ripe, and then it's extracted and, and, and pounded, mm. um, you get too bitter, then they have to sweeten it up with new oak and, and, and American oak, and then you get this sort of sweet, bitter sort of coffee situation. But mm. if you do manage extraction you can get this beautiful pure very sort of ethereal uh fruit sort of reminiscent of a sort of a sour cherry or a sour plum um like a damson uh it, it's it really is a very unique and a positively unique uh, attribute it has a, a and that brings uh, different nuances on on a table so it has more gastronomic uh, options on a table so yeah really really interesting variety and, and it's one that people overlook because of the examples out there that are available, it tend to be quite dour. There are some really good, heavy, dense pinotages as well. I mean, I'm thinking uh, Canon Cop is a, is, a, is a very good pinotage, but in a very completely different style to what, what the Rousseau, and Clark is. But there is some some people making out there making pinotage without, it seems, to me at least, uh, without actually taking in the grapes characteristics into account when they're making the wine they're just making it as another sort of medium to full-bodied red wine and that's it just before mm -hmm. i let you go just want to ask mm -hmm. you so if people love the interlego wines um whose other wines should they look at so they've been to interlego they've bought all your wines they've you know cleaned the shelf off the alimentus and the colebrook and your shannon and the syrah uh whose who's other wines are you are you drinking from south africa at the moment that you're excited by well, for me, a guy that I've been following lately, and um, we tasted with him the other day and last year as well, is um, Bernard Bradell from Science of Sinai. Mm -hmm. um, I, I think his wish. wines are, yeah, yeah. I think his wines are really good, and, and I also I think a very good thing is, is that you know he's, he's he's bringing something else from Stellenbosch, you know, to the party, which is a yeah. really good thing. Uh, because I mean, it's such a massive wine region, you know. So for for me, that's great um, to 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 drink his wines to try out his wine. Um, you know, and it's he already has a typical fingerprint of of him on the wines, you know, and mm -hmm. he, you can immediately taste when it's a it's a wine from Bernard. I actually kind of told him the other day that 
I think if you would uh, do a blind tasting and you would um, mix that, these wines up with a lot of European wines, you might even mistake it for a European wine, uh, mm-hmm. funny enough. But yeah, I must say, these wines for me are really, really good. They're very clean, very direct. There's a lot of focus in the wine. Um, so for me, those are lovely wines. Um, you know, and then obviously, you know, I was lucky the other day I tasted Nick Craven's 2019s and mm-hmm. I also think it's a it's a great job uh, that they've done there. Um, you know, the experience. Mick and Janine are doing some really great things. Yeah, so you know, so it's and I mean, it's yeah. I'm um, actually, it's look, I'm 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 stuck here in the Swartland, um, so it is <laughs> nice to it is nice to every now and then cross the border and go to Stellenbosch and um, yeah, see taste, some grass for a bit. Exactly, taste the new exciting stuff that side. So yeah, and and then you know, obviously, um, you know, I think also in the Yemen order, there's a lot of exciting stuff coming from those from that region um you know uh, i have some of the grenache um from uh, restless liver the other day uh, oh yes and also the leluc um pinot yep. noir so obviously it's all people that you work with yeah <laughs> <laughs> but um those those kind of wines they they excite me they are really good to drink i enjoy them but you know obviously one also tries to find every now and then you try to find something new and something different yeah uh, but there's also a lot of younger guys in the swatland coming through and just it's quite cool to follow them, like MC Standard, you know, what he's starting to do now. So, yeah, we just try everything. But like I said, you know. Has, um, has MCA got a, a label yet or is it still sort of uh, in the works? No, I think he's got a label. Mm. Um, I don't is know it, what all the names are. Is it just called <laughs> but, MCA Standard uh, Wines or? I don't know. Um, you don't know yet. I can't remember. Um, yeah. But I tasted these wines the last year before bottling and after bottling, and these wines were also very good. So, awesome. uh, very, uh, yeah, ex- excited to see, you know, to follow in and see, you know, uh, what they will be up to in the future. Cool, man. Well, thanks, Jürgen. I appreciate cool. it. Um, stay well, and uh, and we'll, we'll chat you soon. Cool, Dave. Perfect, man. And yeah, um, hopefully, you guys are stocked up on that side with the booze. Uh, Oh, we've got you still have to wait another two weeks before you can get <laughs> yeah. to the liquor. We're, we can't sell it, so we have to drink right. it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, <all right. laughs> yeah. Cheers, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Cheers, mate. Thanks. <laughs>